Welcome to the ESG Academy, where the Hogan Lovells team quickly but thoroughly shares critical insights on key ESG issues that in-house counsel need to know. Today's episode will feature two leading partners from our energy projects practice, discussing the impending impact of the global energy transition. Alex Harrison from London is our head of power renewables and energy transition. And Tobias Faber from Frankfurt is a member of our global board and a leading individual in the German and international energy and infrastructure markets. Here's Alex and Tobias to tell us more about the systemic shift in the energy sphere and what a low carbon future might look like for us all. Tobias, we've been talking about energy transition between us for ages. It's an absolutely massive topic that's impacting all of our work and all of the clients um, that we act for across the firm. We were going to take some time um, over the next 10 minutes just to talk about a couple of key topics that we think are particularly relevant to clients at the current time. Starting with the first one, um, looking at the interaction between technology and government support. How do you see uh, the growth of the market and new solutions and the role for government in providing support to um, accelerate the energy transition? It's great being with you today, Alex, and that's a very interesting question, I believe. I think many governments are still working out their way how to foster investments and to um, strengthens emerging technology. I may start with my own country, so to say. We have just elected a new parliament and we will very likely have a new government in Germany, which calls itself a climate government. And they want to foster a massive reduction of carbon footprint. And that will require an additional investment in Germany of 50 to 60 billion euros per year over the next 10 years. The government actually wants to provide further support schemes for renewables. That means on and offshore wind farms, giving you a number here. I think there is some calculation in the market that we would be required to build up to 30,000 new windmills just to meet our additional targets, but also to foster investments into new technologies. Hydrogen is a big one, which we are discussing here and also in the global marketplace, I believe. The same is storage technology, battery storage, other storage technologies, where um, actually we need to make massive progress on the technology side. And that is also true for carbon capturing. How that will actually be emerged is a good question. I still believe in many countries we need government support to foster such investment. It may be support regimes, regimes. it may also be some instruments like through the credit agency to foster investments. But looking at you, you're also very active in that sector. How are your looking, uh, clients looking at that and what are they asking the governments to um, to foster investment in that sector? Thanks, Tobias. And it's a fascinating question, uh, not least because um, the UK, as you say, is hosting the COP26 United Nations uh, Climate Change Summit. And in that context, is trying to portray itself and, and demonstrate that it's a world leader uh, in the race to net zero. And, and we're bringing forward policies to support carbon capture and storage, 
floating offshore wind and hydrogen. But in doing that, um, decisions inevitably need to be taken, which are prioritizing some solutions or uh, some projects that are able to deliver in particular timescales over others. So there's an interesting question between the political desire to accelerate progress here um, and the danger of picking winners of, of, um, of perhaps um, restraining innovation by, uh, by focusing on particular solutions that are easy to deliver today, but may or may not offer uh, longest term value. So I think for clients in this space, that's one particularly key issue that we have to think about. That's great. I think we have now focused a bit on where we are coming from and where we are actually located. But we also consider ourselves at Hogan Levels at global energy lawyers. So looking at the global marketplace, what do you see as global trends and challenges, Alex, in that sector? I, I think when we look at energy transition around the world, the, the, the key kind of takeaway is just how global the, um, the solutions, the financing and the participants are that are going to be needed to deliver um, an effective transition in this area. Uh, and that means that when uh, clients are looking at investment opportunities, but also when we're looking to structure and design them, we need to be mindful of that global context. So if we're thinking about how to accelerate uh, offshore wind development in the UK, we need to be mindful that Scotland will um, have its own process as distinct from England and Wales, um, but also that um, we're competing against our European neighbours who are trying to develop um, offshore wind uh, in the North Sea, for example, uh, but also the interest for floating offshore wind in uh, the Taiwan, uh, Taiwan and other um, Asian markets and, and, and the increasing growth of, of offshore wind in the US. So I, I think the clients are global, the uh, solution providers are global, and the marketplaces in which they can compete are global. And so that's the landscape that we are looking at, and, and we try to be resourced as a firm to be able to support our clients in uh, whichever of those markets they're looking to play. Tobias, from your perspective, how does the global um, aspect of the marketplace touch on your work? I actually think your response was very interesting because you spoke a lot about in competition and I think that's the right framing. On the positive, no positive note, I believe competition will also foster Uh, investments into new technologies and will and work out the better actually what needs to be desired actually but overall i think we may need less competition at least between the countries and the markets and it needs to come together we need integrated energy markets actually where energy can flow Uh, where it, it is produced to the off-takers, where we have interconnectors between the countries, where we have crits which work together at smart crits and so on and so forth. If we look, for instance, at the EU, it's clear if we want to have a green economy, uh, we will heavily rely on, for instance, hydrogen. Hydrogen in the amount which is required will likely not be produced in the EU. So we will import that like we did that before with oil and gas in other areas and other countries where this will be produced. So everything needs to come together, actually. We need a regulatory landscape, which allows, for instance, with the example of hydrogen, to have it produced in the Middle East or Eurasia, getting it transported into the EU. 
And likewise, we need to have the regulatory regime to incentivize uh, production of green energy. The EU, for instance, has introduced a carbon tax, which means actually not only products which are um, produced in the EU um, on uh, uh, with carbon, so to say, will be taxed, but also products which will be produced outside the EU and shall be imported, such as cement or steel, will actually attract a carbon tax. That will actually foster massive investments also in other global markets um, to allow products to get green um, in, in order actually to even import, the, uh, import those products into uh, the EU. Other countries have similar regimes and also the off-takers look, for instance, if the car manufacturers or the chemical industry will heavily rely on uh, green products. And you, there you can actually see how the global market fits together. Alex, I think we uh, touched on a couple of issues already on that. If we speak about technology, um, that's a big word. Uh, what do you see in terms of new technologies and drivers to, for new technologies uh, with uh, your sector head on? Thanks, Tobias. I mean, I think technology is at the center of the energy transition and, and is a massive positive force that is accelerating um, our ability to transition to a more sustainable and low carbon, zero carbon future. So it's providing a huge amount of opportunity. And that's everything from the core technology that enables renewable solutions, enables carbon capture, the production of green hydrogen. But also, and perhaps more interestingly, uh, when we look at the system as a whole, technology is affecting how our energy system operates, how and when we generate, how and when we store, how and when we consume and how we move energy around our markets. And increasingly, we're seeing um, a lot of automation. Um, in terms of, of, of decision making in, in environments which would previously have been manual. And we're also seeing a move towards um, solutions that are being driven out of big data analysis, customer centric solutions that are focused on understanding the customer and the customer's energy usage um, in a more sophisticated way. So in that sense, technology is providing a massive boost um, to the transition to a, a low carbon future. But it's also providing some challenges because those new solutions are being placed onto a regulatory environment and a legal environment that wasn't designed for many of the um, flexible and, and dynamic solutions that now exist. And so there is a challenge for um, legislators and for regulators to keep pace with uh, that change and to understand what is happening on their markets in order to ensure that costs continue to be fairly applied uh, and that the system um, can be um, stable and um, price volatility can be avoided uh, wherever possible. And we've seen elements of that recent outages, for example, in Texas earlier this year, where um, the introduction of renewables on the system has made the grid more volatile. And that's an example of, um, of, of these stresses. But Tobias, you're, you've really thought about these technology issues um, as they affect um, the marketplace. What are your perspectives on this? I completely concur, actually, with your perspective. I think the offtake in the energy sector has become much more volatile as it has been before, in particular in the industrial field, but even with private households. 
before, um, let's say 10 years, you could calculate when you have a peak in the energy offtake and when we have when you had actually low offtake cycles. And today, I think the crits, but also on the production front, um, you need much more tailored solutions. As you rightly pointed out, um, artificial intelligence, big data analysis allows a lot of that. We have spoken in other places about smart metering and smart crits. Um, and actually, this all fosters much more still um, the battery storage uh, technology, for instance, which will require to, um, to deliver on what is required from the market. There are also quite some interesting features. If you look, for instance, at electric vehicles, which is in many markets actually what is desired by governments to have carbon-free vehicles, so to say, um, these are meanwhile more than just mo uh, mobility carriers. They include a battery and they will be actually be connected to a crit. They may even have on their garage a production like with solar and PV panels. They may even serve as a battery for stabilizing the crits uh, in a smaller scale and shall be calculated in. On the other side, you see that in many markets um, that the energy offtake, the power consumption is suggested to increase and not decrease as many people may hope. Um, so all of that needs to fit together and technology, as I said, with artificial in, in, uh, intelligence, big data will serve for that. We have spoken a lot, Alex, about um, what is done in many of the mature markets uh, like the UK, the US. So what about the emerging markets? How does the picture actually fit together? I, I think that's that's a key point that we need to, to kind of touch on. Um, Tobias, both you and I work in uh, mature markets and emerging markets. Uh, I've recently been working on a solar project in Malawi, uh, and I know you've been working on a hydrogen project in Kazakhstan. And technology and um, low carbon solutions have great potential to support both types of markets, but in different ways. I think in mature markets, the focus for me tends to be uh, on decarbonizing quickly, on contributing to security of supply, on contributing to network efficiency and, and uh, reducing cost and so on. Uh, in emerging markets, you're still left with core challenges around access to power and also very, very inefficient grids that have many technical and non-technical losses. And so we see um, energy transition solutions playing a slightly different role, focusing on those immediate challenges of how do you connect people to power, whether that's microgrid solutions um, or different options, but also how do you make grids operate more effectively um, in order to actually make the most of the renewables that are being added to the system. So those are the key trends, I think, and the key distinctions for me between um, a mature market and an emerging market perspective. How do you see things? I think if we aim and strive to achieve a net zero um, global environment in terms of carbon footprint, it will only work if mature and emerging markets will work hand in hand. And if we safeguard what we have achieved so far and enhance what we have to achieve together. I think there is a big potential, I agree, in many countries in the emerging markets, there's still an issue with access to power overall. We see still many markets who invest a lot in coal-fired plants, for instance, 
um, and uh, there needs to still happen uh, some kind of energy transition also in the mindset, but also in terms of the spending power to move the economies and the energy production lines into net zero. I think what it requires is a solid infrastructure. You spoke about the crits, which are not very um, stable uh, in many of the markets. You spoke about regulation, which is also true. If we knew, uh, look, for instance, at um, the investments in renewable energy, if you look at hydrogen, in many countries, um, the regulatory framework needs to be enhanced. And thirdly, if you want to attract capital, equity and debt from international investors, you also need to have some kind investment, uh, of investment protection. What it can achieve, and you spoke about the example with Kazakhstan, there are many other examples uh, which we could frame. You could have markets where you could ramp up and build up large-scale renewable energy uh, production facilities, which can serve the local market, but also and allow uh, an export of the energy in the more mature markets. And all of that can actually produce many winners, actually. Uh, if the regimes work together. So there's a lot of hope actually also for COP26 that this will foster this development. Alex, maybe you have some closing words. Uh, absolutely. And I think my closing thought, Tobias, is, is that energy transition really is touching um, all of our clients. And so while this used to be a marketplace where really people who were energy sector focused used to play, what we increasingly see is that every form of client uh, is thinking about their ESG journey, thinking about energy transition, about reducing waste, um, purchasing uh, green energy, uh, thinking about their supply chain. So it's becoming a universal uh, need for clients to receive advice in this area. And that speaks, I think, to how profound a transition this needs to be, but also to the momentum that's already in the market, uh, making a shift uh, towards a more sustainable future. Thank you very much, Alex. That was very interesting. Thanks so much to Alex and Tobias for today's discussion. Visit our ESG site on hoganlevels.com for additional podcasts, videos and resources. Or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.